welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast that celebrates women who made or are making an impact on our society. With me today is my landlord, Mayberry Holmes. Good afternoon, Mayberry Holmes here, a.k.a. Joe Ortiz. Sure is. (laughs) To close out this mini-series focusing on activists, I never told you all that's what I was doing, but surprise, we are going to be telling the tale of one Vera Figner. Let's get started. Born on June 25th, 1852 to a prosperous family in, so this takes place in Russia, and there's a lot of really hard names. So I'm going to do my best. I like that you have that disclaimer for the Russian, for this <laughs> Russian one, but the DR one, you just went straight into you know, it. No, no warning. You know. You didn't even warn. <laughs> I've. Ma'am. Doing what I can, okay? How <laughs> they were in Kazan, Russia. Vera was the oldest of six children. That's, that's a, a lot. That's, that's a, a big house. That's so many. But, I mean, they're rich, so, like, that's good at least. They probably weren't bored. <laughs> At the age of 11, she was sent to what was considered to be an excellent private boarding school, Rodionovsky Institute for Women. That sounded pretty right to me. Later in life, she, when she was asked about her time there, she didn't have the most glowing reviews, stating that her four years at the boarding school yielded her, quote, almost nothing in terms of scientific knowledge or intellectual training. She also recalled that their history lessons were spent on Greek and Roman mythology, and there were virtually no textbooks. So basically, they were being taught, like, how to be a good wife. You can read now, and here's some writing skills. They went to... Learn about Hades. That's okay. All right, that's an interesting curriculum. Sure, I guess. So... I don't know. It's pretty wild. Russia's definitely a place. (laughs) Vera wanted to go to university, but at the time in Russia, she wasn't allowed to. Why not? You know, because they didn't allow women to have higher education. So even, I mean, look at the school she went to, the boarding school. They weren't even teaching her maths or science. Mm. And what they did teach was pretty government controlled in terms of what they would learn. Mm. So... Off to Zurich, Switzerland, she went to study medicine with her sister Lydia in 1872. She was 20 years old at the time. She had family members who were against the monarchy and encouraged her to be concerned about the poor. They gave her two books, one on Switzerland and the other on the United States, two extremely different governments than Russia's. And I feel like that was pretty risky on their behalf to find these books. I'm sure they were banned. You know? Yeah. These books were the extent of her political knowledge before she headed to Zurich. I have a little bit of a long quote, but here it goes. In my opinion, in order to be more useful, one should know more. But where can you learn what you want to do? I think only the university is worth so much that a woman could sacrifice everything for it. But in Russia, this way is closed to women. Therefore, I have decided to go to Zurich. We shall return to our country and organize life in a fine way. I shall organize a hospital and open a school or a handcraft institute. I shall stop at nothing because this whole plan is not the mere product of an idle fantasy, but my whole flesh and blood, and my motivation will be the three needs or targets of my existence. Economic independence, the formation of my intelligence, and usefulness to others. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I feel like we, we so take for granted the opportunities in front of us. 
could, she's very self-aware. Yeah, and I, and and you know, to to look at your circumstances and where you want to be, and find any way to do it, even leaving your family, your life, to go and do this. While Vera was at university, she met a group of women with radical political views. The group consisted of 13 or so women, including Sofia Bardina and Olga Liubatovic. Perfect. Sure. So this, this is a quote from anarchist Peter Kropotkin, who knew the group at the time. He said, they lived, as most students do, especially the women, that is on very little, tea and bread, some milk, and a thin slice of meat, amidst spirited discussions of the latest news from the socialist world and the last book read. That was their regular fate. Those who had more money than was needed for such a way of life donated it to the cause. As to dress, the most parsimonious economy reigned in that direction. Our girls in Zurich seemed defiantly to throw this question at the popular there. Can there be a simplicity to dress which does not become a girl if she is young, intelligent, and full of energy? Man. So... What he's saying is these women with these like crazy radical political views don't actually have radical views, at least in this time, you know, uh, at this moment, they haven't been radicalized yet. But they're saying they're they're just discussing books and socialism and and dressing different. And that means they're crazy, radical women. But face miscreant Franziska Tibertuis. That's super wrong, but who cares? Because he sucks. However, had this to say about the women, the short cut hair, the enormous blue spectacles, the quite short unadorned dress which resembled umbrella lining, the round glossy matelot, the cigarette, the dark and supercilious countenance all came to be considered a characteristic of a woman student. <laughs> the face that she's giving me right now um, speaks speaks largely to what she just read. Umbrella lining? I'm, s- <laughs> I'm sorry my dress doesn't have enough sparkles for you. I'm trying to learn. She likes sparkles, though. She. she I do like she sparkles, loves but... sparkles. Still. Right. You know? That's so crazy. And, and very quickly, Vera and her friends began showing up on the Russian authorities' radar, which is insane to me. Yeah. Just the fact... They were on their radar because they wanted to go to university. In general. They and, had ideas oh no, that they didn't like. They have ideas. Uh-oh. These women want to liberate <laughs> themselves and their ideologies? No way. The Russian government herald. That's the name of the newspaper. The Russian mm. government herald. Mm. So you know it's uh, unbiased. Official. <laughs> I mean, yes, unbiased. Uh, published this about the women on May 21st, 1872. Now, I wanted to paraphrase this paragraph, but it's so good. And by good, I mean tragically small-minded that I just had I had to leave the thing, the you whole thing. Got so, to. so bear with me. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really dramatic. I'm gonna try to do like a movie reading. Oh, okay, method acting. Okay. Yes, several Russian girls set off abroad to attend lectures at Zurich University. At first, there were only a few of them, but now there are more than a hundred women there. Largely because of this increase in, in Russian women students, the ringleaders of Russian immigration have abandoned their studies for fruitless political agitation. Young Russians of both sexes have formed political parties of extreme shades. In the Russian library, they hold lectures of an exclusively revolutionary nature. It has become common practice for the girls to attend workers' meetings. 
Young and inexperienced minds are being led astray by political agitators and set on the wrong course. And to cap it all, meetings and party struggles throw the girls into such confusion that they accept the fruitless and fraudulent propaganda as real life. One drawn into politics, the girl once drawn into politics, the girls fall under the influence of some of the leaders of emigration and become compliant weapons in their hands. Some of them go from Zurich to Russia and back two or three times a year, carrying a letter, instructions, and proclamations, and taking an active part in criminal propaganda. Others are led astray by communist theories about free love, and under pretext of fictitious marriages, carry to the most extreme limits of their rejection of the fundamental laws of morality and feminine virtue. The immoral conduct of Russian women has aroused the indignation of the local citizens against them, and landladies are even refusing to accept them as lodgers. Some of the girls have sunk so low as to practice contempt of all honorable people. Did you just read that in a, in a, with, a, with, with that accent? I did. Like the newspaper? Yes. Like that's how the newspaper's talking? Yes. <laughs> with the, uh, like, it's like giving like a, the newspaper like a female, like a... I was trying to give a dramatic a, reading. Yes, it was. It well, it it was like you were giving like uh, you were reading like instructions. <laughs> you were reading no, you were reading like a summary of a movie. That's what it was. That's what it sounded like. It was like the plot of a movie. That's <laughs> that's what it sounded like. So that's crazy, mind you. It's thirteen women. It's not hundreds. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's thirteen they're twenty-one intimi- year old girls. They're intimidated by by this by them that much. Then that's really good. Yeah, it's 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 wild the amount of misinformation that they're providing, trying to just fear mongering, you know. Mikhail Bakunin, a Russian revolutionary anarchist, met the group when he visited Zurich and encouraged the women to return to Russia and continue propaganda work. Most members returned to Russia in 1873 to start their peaceful propaganda. In support of the people they saw turning out to express their distaste and opposition to the oppression that they saw, they called their movement to the people, which I feel like is recycled yearly by every movement. We the people, we, to the people, you yeah, know, they, all that stuff. We, she, yeah. Now, unfortunately, by the fall of 1875, the group was all but dissolved. The work the women were doing in the factories, passing out flam- pamph- flamplets, flamplets, passing out pamphlets, etc., it didn't make much impact because most of the workers were illiterate, you know, and mm. and that puts you in a. That's how they keep people uneducated. That's why they keep. That's them why they do so it. That they never actually. Re- so they can't rebel. And yeah. So they just uprising. exactly. They just have to go by what they're being told. Yeah. But have no fear. Vera Figner is here. In December of 1875, Vera returned to Russia. Some sources said 1879, but more of my sources said 1875, so we're going to go with that one. Upon her return, she found work as a paramedic in rural Russia, because mind you, she was studying medicine when she was over there, over in Zurich. So Vera had 12 villages under her management. She wasn't under the constraints and supervision of the doctor the entire time she was working in the region. So she was also able to share her desire for social changes with her flock, I guess. Not flock, with her... um, With her group. With her group, yeah. Yeah. With with the people she's there to take care of. Sure. Uh, She said this about the first time she made a visit uh, as a paramedic to to one of her, her villages. 
Heretofore, I had not seen the wretched peasant environment at close range. I knew of the people's poverty and misery rather theoretically from books, magazines, articles, statistical material. So one could not look with equanimity at the filthy and emaciated patients. Most of their ailments were of a long-standing rheumatism and headaches 10 to 15 years old. Nearly all of them suffered from skin diseases, yet only few villages had baths. There were numerous cases of incurable catars of the stomach and intestines, wheezing chests heard from a distance, syphilis which spread, which spared no age, endless sores and wounds, and all of this under conditions of such unimaginable filth of dwelling and clothes of such unhealthful and insufficient food that one asks oneself in stupor, was that the life of animals or of human beings? Yeah, that sounds... Um horrible those sounds that sounds like the worst kind of living conditions for anyone to exist in. and to think the czar is just like spending and living this this life of absolute luxury at and, the time just trying to challenge these women as opposed to just trying to better um everyone's living conditions like that seems like a waste right so the villagers actually referred to her as a she healer, as it was most uncommon for a female to be practicing any sort of medicine. She healer, a yeah. she healer, because she, healer, she healer doesn't make any no. sense. Probably also wasn't a thing back yeah. then when they were m merging words like that. Yeah, she healer, she That's healer, good. right? Like she was like yeah. a, a superhero for yeah, them. Saying, they yeah. they loved her. They would just flock to her. They they thought she was this like mythical person who could cure everything just by a charm and even though that's they just hadn't been properly exposed to medicine the way that they should have been yeah which is heartbreaking horrible heartbreaking <laughs> heartbreaking oh, so that same year the group of women started distributing a newspaper called robotnik the worker remember our anarchist friend bakunin yeah yeah mikhail Yes, yeah. yes. The paper was produced by him in um, Bern. It was the first Russian-language paper to focus actual attention on the urban proletariat. Mm. As mentioned before, most workers were illiterate, so the paper was unsuccessful in reaching its target demographic. It did, however, get the attention of the Russian secret police, because there's secret police everywhere, Never, apparently. Every country's got them. If no matter doing, what. If they think you're up to something, there's going to be some secret police watching. <sighs> In August of 1875, Bardina, Lydia Figner, who is Vera's sister, Anna Toporovka, Olga, and Jezia Gelfman, sorry about those names, they're difficult, uh, were taken into custody. Their trial took place two years later, two years, on March 14, 1877. Barden and Olga were sentenced to nine years of hard labor in Siberia. <sighs> And Jezia and Lydia were given five years of hard labor in factories. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's real. That's really that happened. Bad. Yeah, that happened. That's really. It's horrific. Nine years hard labor in Siberia. You know they died. I couldn't find further information, but like pretty sure they just that means you disappear. That means you're not a person anymore. Yeah. You're sent to Siberia. The government just stiff-armed them and told them they couldn't fight for their own rights yeah. as human beings, which is And then you get bad. to go die in Siberia now. Yeah, that's a pretty bad government. <laughs> After the arrest and sentencing of her sister Lydia, Vera joined the Land and Liberty Group. 
After the party split in two in October 1879, Vera joined the terrorist branch of it, which is a choice. Now, I'm not condoning her actions going forward in this story, but I understand where it's coming from. Okay, so moving forward. The branch was called the People's Will Party. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name right now. Actually, Narodnaya Volya. A large majority of the Land and Liberty Group ended up joining this section, actually, this terrorist branch. They held terroristic views. They felt like violence and threats would get their point across faster. Which, yes, but, you know... Vera actually ended up becoming a member of the directive committee. Like, she was one of the heads of this of this group. She rose up in the ranks and real yeah. fast. Now, while Andrei Zelyabov was widely considered the leader, Vera felt like he was shallow, lacked life experience. She felt like he hadn't been through or seen enough in his life. She She felt like he was approaching everything as if it we're all sunshine and daisies even in this terroristic branch he she felt like he didn't really understand what was happening he hadn't seen it firsthand the way she had yeah she helped prepare plans for the assassinations of key political figures including emperor alexander ii soon after its formation now side note they had no plans for what they were going to do after he was assassinated yeah what do you yeah because i mean you'd be on the radar uh, i mean in, in instantly as soon as you killed him even if it was like uh you know a secret sort of plan you know, like not you, even just that they didn't even have like an idea for how the government should be run they didn't have <laughs> a plan to say kill him why don't we usher in this new ruling of systems they, they didn't even have a – because they had to have known that immediately after, the person in succession would just be the new czar. Kind of like a shoot first, think later yeah. situation. So after two attempts on the czar's life failed, blew up the wrong train, Goodness. killing a bunch of people, well. and an attempt to blow up the uh, Kemeny Bridge in St. Petersburg as the czar crossed it, super failed. He didn't even – they – Figner blamed it on uh, Zelyabov's incompetence. Other oh. members of the group felt he was just unlucky, but she was like, no, 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 no. A successful attempt was finally made on March 13, 1881. After a few botched attempts and missed bombs, again, one finally struck and instantly killed Alexander II. Vera was the only leader of the people's will that evaded capture initially. Nearly two years later, Vera was arrested on February 10th, 1883. The new czar, Alexander III, said, thank God that terrible woman has been caught. Oh. You know, good on her for evading capture for so long. Yeah. But, like, Alexander III sounds like he sucks, and it sounds like it was all for naught. I mean, it wasn't, obviously. It wasn't all for naught because... But there's, there's no love lost in Alexander II being, you know, blown up. That's, but you know, all of all of these these people being arrested, these people who had the right intention, it was just the means that it was executed. Yeah. You know, no pun actually intended on that one. You yeah. know. Yeah. So Vera spent a year in prison before her trial. During this time, she learned English and wrote her memoirs. 
In September of 1884, a military tribunal condemned her to death. The sentence was later commuted to life, imprisonment, and for the next two decades, she was in solitary confinement in Schlüsselberg Fortress. That's just, that can't be justified. I mean, that's not fair. No. There are definitely people that have done way worse, I mean, then and now that, you know, get off scot-free or with little to no, you know, being, uh, yeah, hardly any absolutely. Sort of There's a bright side though, because life in prison didn't actually end up happening. Oh. She was released in 1904, and subsequently exiled. Oh, okay. upon her okay. release, Vera joined the socialist revolutionaries, but then left when she learned that Evno Azev was actually a double agent. Oh. <laughs> Everyone's a spy. Everyone's a spy. Vera was able to return to Russia in 1915, and she welcomed the revolution, the Russian Revolution in 1917. Oh, I'm sure she was there for that movement. Oh, absolutely. Nice. She, she worked for the People's Commissariat for Social Security, so she's like, gotta help the people, and joined the Writers' Union in 1924 when it was initially established. Wow. In 1927... Vera published her autobiography, Memoirs of a Revolutionary. During this time, she was already highly critical of Joseph Stalin. And according to some, she was on the communist secret police radar again and was in danger of being arrested again. I love that she was outspoken uh, about this, per this, you know, about Joseph Stalin. Um, and that's just kind of like her character where... She will just speak out against the unjust, the unjustliness of the government, yeah, which is spot on. That's totally through and through. Fearless. Vera even was that person. Yeah, like, even she was with spending strong woman. Twenty years in gets solitary. <laughs> does does time in solitary leaves, gets exile, comes back, joins the revolution, still talks smack about the guy in charge. Like that is that woman. Yes. Anyway, you know what's great? Vera died at the eight. Oh. That was a weird you know segue. What's great? You know what's great about this revolutionary woman? She died. <laughs> she we didn't mean it like that. We didn't mean she didn't mean it like that. She, she lived a long life, is but what I did. meant, because she died at the age of 89 in June, on June 15th of 1942. So let's chat for a second. Impact on society with good intentions in mind. The means to get to where she thought was the right solution left something to be desired. How do you how do you feel that I mean obviously we're not in these shoes we we don't know what we would have done I feel like I'm not one to plot an assassination I also don't know what the step could have been any other way you know to to make noise in a way that's like we are willing to risk our entire lives and lives of others which not great don't do that but to make an impact to show what the oppression is to show what's going on i i mean off the top of my head i can't think of a revolution that was fought quietly and um sort of peacefully without any sort of you know it's unfortunate casualties of war we, we never want anyone to lose their life as a result of like the greater good but at the same time like um during this time period in this territory uh i from what the story you've read and from my information, I don't know of any other way in which they would have been able to rise up against, you know, this regime. I mean, there's just you, you have to fight back. Yeah, you, you, you had you had to. There was there was no way of being able to collectively organize people in, in this region where some of them weren't educated enough to be able to even get on board and read what the pamphlets were about. Mm -hmm. It's just like 
you know you gotta stand for you gotta you know the few have to stand for the many sometimes that's a really excellent point to to say you know a lot of the people who who would have absolutely been on this revolutionary side were not educated they couldn't read they couldn't so what other way are you going to get attention to your movement at this time with these people than to physically say this this can't keep going on to to physically make something happen that's so over the top to make people say well why did they do that and then people can then say well they did this because this this and this and this yeah yeah anything else to add joe oh man veer's story was quite a roller coaster right <laughs> she, she was a fighter i mean i it, it takes it takes a certain kind of strong individual i think to be officially exiled from the country like your place of birth and then to come back and continue fighting not only for those people but that place it says a lot about her and who she was and just how determined she was to you know make make a stand and you know get her point across that she wasn't going to take that absolutely they weren't going to take that yeah i think it's so interesting that she was a paramedic like this medical background she wants to save people so her her intentions behind this assassination plan was to save people, which is very interesting. That's her whole thing. She wants to save. She wants to take care of. And I, it's such an interesting roller coaster of a story. Sometimes your back is pushed up against a wall where, you know, these people were left with no other option. I mean, in terms of being able to try to liberate themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, if you're not going to, if someone's not going to try to work with you peacefully or in some sort of diplomatic manner, you have to take situations in your own hands sometimes like this because no one else was going to open the door for these, for these women, for these uneducated individuals in general Mm -hmm. across the board, Mm -hmm. not just women, but like, you know, you you have, you have to knock down some doors in order to open some up because no one, no one was doing it for them and sure shit, the government was going to open it for them. Uh -uh. So yeah, kick those doors down women. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, to wrap things up, thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of women of her story. Tune back in this Friday. I have an interview episode with Maddie DeVries. She is a company member with the Alonzo Kings Lines Ballet. She's incredible. She's a goofball. It's a great interview. Tune back in then.